my name's Izzy. I'm a playwright and a songwriter, and I'm lowercase sober. That means I'm sober, but not like capital S sober. I don't drink, but I'm not in recovery in the traditional sense, and I'm not an addict. I think this distinction is super important, and I'll make it at the top of every episode. I don't identify as sober curious or dry because I'm, like, totally sober. And I don't think either gives enough weight to how much I had to unlearn when I stopped drinking, but both are labels that work for a lot of people who quit drinking, and I think they're valid ways to think about your sobriety. They just don't work for me. But if they're working for you, that's amazing. A content warning. I'm going to discuss alcohol use, browning and blacking out, binge drinking, and big emotional things, mainly grief, anxiety, and situational depression. A quick message for my sisters and my mom. I'm going to talk about dad. Just a little. I just didn't want you to be caught off guard. Text you later. Love you. All of that being said, let's get into it. This episode is going to be a little darker in general, so bear with me. I debated not sharing this much. There's a whole discussion to be had about where the line is between self-preservation and intimacy with your audience, but that's a whole other podcast. My sobriety has come in waves. I flirted with the idea of giving up drinking entirely a few times. Once when I was told it might exacerbate an illness I might inherit from my dad's side of the family. Once when I did Whole30, which is this, like, fad, clean-eating diet thing. Once I almost gave it up entirely when I just didn't like it anymore and was tired of it. And once after my dad died. My dad passed away after being sick in a very complicated way for a very long time. The thing that initially afflicted him is something that might be passed down genetically to me. We're not sure. We're keeping an eye on it. My dad passed away when I was in grad school, so I began to treat my grief like a problem to work through and contain instead of actually confronting it and letting it exist. I felt compelled to continue my work and continue my degree, which I did and I don't regret at all. It helped me have a very strong support system around me while I recovered. I did go to counseling. I took days off when I needed them. I made sure I was taking care of me. I stopped drinking as much after he passed away. Not by a lot, but enough to make note of it. At first, though, I drank a lot more than usual. Like I've mentioned before, I've never been a big drinker in the first place, so it was going from three drinks to four on a weekend night. Grad school, frankly, made me both too busy to get drunk and too stressed to not drink. Alcohol felt like an escape most days, but when grief entered the picture... Alcohol no longer helped me escape whatever was stressing me out. It just tore down the really inefficient fencing I was trying to contain everything with. It opened me up to letting my grief consume me entirely, which scared me and wasn't healthy. So instead, I decided to not give alcohol that power. I would drink until I felt sad, and then I'd go home, cry a little, and go to bed. That's what I used to tell myself. Go out, drink until you feel sad, and then go home. It sounds horrible, and sometimes it felt horrible, but it was what I needed then. But the flaw in that plan is, soon I didn't need to even finish one drink to feel sad. Grief is funny in that it's often at its worst months after you lose someone. It's like when you plant a seed, it germinates in the ground, growing, unseen, and then it bursts through the soil and you can finally see it for what it is, a grief bean. That's right, a grief bean. I said it, and I stand by it, a grief bean. I didn't 
really drink in high school. I didn't party. I was sad and quiet, knocked down a few notches by being in the closet about being bisexual, losing my first crush to something shocking, and some light bullying in middle school at the hands of other closeted girls. My bullies and I came out as bisexual, gay, queer, etc. after graduation. It was bittersweet. But I knew what drinking was from TV. I knew when people drank. I knew why they drank. I knew people drank when they were sad, when they were angry. I knew male characters in particular would get hammered after losing people they loved to breakups or death. I knew female characters would get drunk to forget about ex-boyfriends and losing their jobs. The weird gender coding of that learned behavior is a whole other podcast, but the gooey caramel center of what I learned was people drink after loss, and they drink a lot, and it's supposed to help, I think. I used to fantasize about getting blackout drunk and being carried back to my house or my dorm room because I was so sad. People lamenting me being so sad. People nodding solemnly as I was escorted home, whispering amongst each other, she just lost her dad. Shame, really. She's so sad. I had this other fantasy of standing in all black over my father's grave, holding a cold bottle of wine in my hand and taking swigs as I stared down the patch of grass that would forever represent the man who bought me McDonald's after cello lessons even when my mom said no. I would get drunk, unruly, and someone would come take care of me. That fantasy was dashed quickly against the rocks of reality, though, as I returned to grad school and didn't have someone to come home to to save me from myself. I couldn't signal my distress in the same way that people could on TV or in plays. I just had to deal with it, which is healthier, but I don't think people really understood how much I was hurting. After all, we all grew up watching the same media with the same understanding. Drinking a lot was a signal, a cry for help, but I got too sad when I drank. I couldn't stand it. It's kind of like, I'll, I'll make this analogy. Simile? Whatever. It's like burning a controlled brush fire with a bunch of experts and firefighters on standby. That is confronting your grief in a healthy way. You acknowledge it and let it do its thing, but you're vigilant about letting it get control over your life. And drinking and grieving, that's like waking up suddenly surrounded by raging orange flames smack dab in the middle of a firestorm. That's the only advice I'll give in this podcast. If you're grieving, don't drink so much. It's going to be the scariest thing that you do, holding your pain so close, not pushing it away with a wall of wine and bar hopping and vodka. Even if you end up drinking when you feel like you can handle your grief better, don't give all your emotional power away to something that does nothing for the pain you're feeling. It'll make it real, and that's so scary. But what's worse is being three shots in and forgetting why your heart hurts and your legs ache and your mouth is dry and your cheeks are wet. But knowing something is wrong and wanting to not be drunk anymore so you can just see the problem clearly and get a handle on yourself, but you can't undo drunk. When I drink, I can't stop thinking about the way that I act. It's inseparable from the experience and lowered inhibitions of alcohol-fueled nights, the waking up the next morning to a hangover and crippling anxiety. The last time I drank, I browned out. I've never done that before. It was scary and I did something and I can't remember what it was. It wasn't anything bad. It was just a small action with no consequences. 
I didn't remember putting my shoes in a certain part of the room. But that's not good. So imagine the anxiety of realizing you don't remember something because you browned out. But that anxiety happens every time you drink, no matter the amount. I would wonder if I said something weird that I didn't remember, if I did something off and people were still thinking about it. I hate it. The obsessing over perception the next day, wondering if people noticed the way I moved, my hands, how often I tripped over my words, which I do stone cold sober. This podcast is scripted for a reason. Alcohol's negative effects ironically hit me once it's left my system. In the wake of raucous or even chill, fun-filled nights, I get hangovers, vomiting, panic attacks. One frantic $80 purchase of Plan B that it turns out I didn't need. Countless reconnaissance missions to find out what happened to friends we lost track of the night before. Secrets revealed. Morning breath of strangers. My heart shattered. My coffee too acidic to sit on top of the alcohol still breaking down in my digestive tract so it's left untouched on the counter. Hours lost to sleep and headache. I've never felt connected to anything once I'm hungover, like a cranky, bloated balloon lifting into the sky, untethered to consequence, wistfully so, and then popped by the heat of reality, and then it's just fart noises all the way back down to earth. I have felt less self-conscious in the months since I stopped drinking than when I was. I've boldly told people I liked them. I've fought off men with just my eyes. <laughs> I've worn bodycon dresses to work and parties without a second thought. I feel safer in my own head. It's so freeing to own every moment of my existence, to recognize its weight and not squander it. And wow, is that so great, except I have a huge mental block about dating while sober. I can get right up to the finish line and almost ask someone out and give that final hint in the long flirting game we all play as adults in New York City. And then I just chicken out and ghost. But I talked about a lot of that in the last episode, so you can just go listen to that. <laughs> I touched on something that I had to overcome in the last episode, the idea that I'm only desirable to people when they're drinking. It's bullshit, obviously, but it's something that's so hard to overcome. All the places I used to socialize were work, rehearsal, and bars on nights out. Work is an inappropriate place to proposition people. Rehearsal is also inappropriate because it's also work and bars where everyone is drunk just doesn't help to usurp the negative parasite of the idea that I'm only desirable when someone is drunk. Honestly, obviously, at the time of recording, I haven't really dealt with it. So to be quite honest, I don't have much more to say about it other than I wish people would just tell me that they like me. I wish I could own up to my own feelings and just tell people I like them. I want to bite the bullet and just do it. Situational depression is a stress-related short-term form of depression that is directly related to an event or change in your life, like the death of a loved one, relationship problems, stressful things at work, etc. Unlike other kinds of depression, situational depression lives up to its name and can usually be linked right back to the cause, which in my case was the death of my dad. Everything felt so hard just difficult and immovable and stressful. All I would do, because I was in grad school when it happened, is go to class, return home to my apartment, and just stew in my own sadness. I couldn't get myself to leave to go places without it being, like, a whole thing. I couldn't do laundry without it being, like, a whole thing. I just couldn't do it, any of it. I mean, I could, and I did, 
But if I had had any say in the matter during that year after my dad died, I would have just lived in a cave on the side of a remote mountain and just sat still forever. But I wasn't thinking straight because, you know, situational depression. I had a very nice counselor at the time who was a grad student like me. I was linked with her through the school mostly because I called the school counseling center from the hospital and said, my dad just died. I'd like to make an appointment for when I'm back on campus. Because I knew I only had a few moments to set up my safety net before I became immobilized by what ifs and hows and questions. Grief is sometimes just questions. And the questions are sometimes the darkest part. My counselor introduced me to this term, situational depression, and I clung to it. She had named the monster that was holding my life hostage. It was bigger than grief. It was just massive. And in its paws, it held the music I used to make every day, the plays I used to cherish writing, and the social life I loved. Naming it let me become friends with it, let me sit with it, let me sometimes take those things back for a day or two and write a song or start a new play or go out with my friends with a smile on my face. Drinking upset it. Drinking made me hate myself for drinking just a little bit. I got very self-critical, in case that wasn't super clear. <laughs> I was very hard on myself at every turn for everything I did, which can be a symptom of situational depression. I've mentioned this a few times, but I also genuinely liked drinking. So my situational depression ripping that away from me was harsh. It made going to bars a questionable choice, but I lived in Pittsburgh, in a part of the city that was gritted with bars on every corner. I was just sad. And I really did tell myself, drink until you feel sad and then go home, which is so, 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 so fucked up. And that wasn't my normal way of thinking, but I would see my friends gathering outside a bar, giving their IDs over to the bouncer, and dread would begin to fill my stomach. Oh God, I'm about to have fun, or oh no, I'm opening the floodgates, or a simple all-caps scream of retreat. So, fun fact, though, I was not alone in my situational depression, nor was my grief situational depression alone in my body and mind. Grad school depression is a fun little extracurricular that people don't tell you about when you sign up for classes. You finally take the GRE, you apply everywhere, you get on campus, you meet your advisor, you work so fucking hard all the fucking time, and suddenly you're thinking about self-harm or drinking until you black out or self-sabotage or you're just simply depressed. And my program was only two years. I've seen people close to me lose themselves to seven-year PhD programs or to their second or third graduate degree. Graduate students are overworked, underpaid, and isolated by studying, lab work, living situations. You have very little money and lots of things to do to impress people who determine if you get your degree or not. The stress of that can swirl into a hurricane of anxiety and depression. And often many graduate associations default their stress release programming to happy hours, thirsty Thursdays, interdepartmental cocktail parties. You work hard, you play hard, you are already stressed, so then you're just drunk and stressed, hungover and stressed, sober and stressed. A perfect storm. If I could do grad school again, I wouldn't go to those happy hours. I would just keep my head down, my heart open to making new relationships, and my mornings free of hangovers and vomit. But in reality, I did drink in grad school, and it wasn't the end of the world. 
It was fun and complicated and helped keep me sane a little bit. Because I got to see people and have fun with them. And yeah, it wasn't all bad. But it definitely helped me find my grad school depression a little faster than I think I would have on my own. I've been looking for a new therapist, so I've been thinking a lot about resources and storytelling and how we connect with other people. Talking about my dad, about grief and anxiety and depression, it's tough bringing it all back to the surface, even in the scripted and slightly clinical way that I have here. But if you'll bear with me for a second, I just want to talk about my dad, which I feel like I never get the chance to do. Um, my dad was a huge influence on me as an artist. He played guitar, he used to be in a band, and wrote songs and played covers of Eric Clapton. His home office was half computers and half music equipment. It was mixing boards and pedals and microphone setups and compressors and old cell phones and cameras. It was guitars and keyboards, and it was so tiny that you'd have to rearrange things to sit down. I'd sit on the carpet of his office and listen to him play for hours. He'd tell me about being in a band and would tell me to keep making music and art that I believed in, to not give in to the sway of public opinion so easily. I miss him, and I think I will for the rest of my life. More and more as I've gotten to know my grief better, and it's turned from raging firestorm to controlled burn. I've been looking into joining groups like The Dinner Party, which is a group that helps organize support groups of young people in their 20s and 30s who have lost someone close to them. It is sometimes actually a dinner party and sometimes people just talking with other people who have lost loved ones. I'll put a link to their website in the description of this episode if you're interested in learning more. I have my friends who have also lost loved ones, they know who they are. We've had long talks about the shitty and funny and rage-inducing aspects of death that are so hard to confront. My family laughs together the loudest when we're talking about my dad passing away. Not because it's funny, of course it isn't funny, but because it's so relieving, at least to me, to just talk about it. Instead of masking it under drinks and pretending to be too drunk and going home early from a party because I can't stop crying, which actually happened once, I was one drink in, my friends thought I was wasted, and I was just devastated instead. But instead of that, I've been doing the work for once, putting in my 10,000 hours to get to know that part of me a little bit better. Escapism is so attractive. But conquering my fear of my own emotions has a sweeter payoff. This episode honestly went way deeper than I thought it would, so I'm just going to end it there. If you want to reach out to me, feel free to shoot an email to lowercasepodcast at gmail.com. There's a list of resources in the description of the episode in case you're interested in talking to a professional about your alcohol use. Thanks for listening. I, Izzy D'Esposito, scripted and said all the words you just heard. I also edited and composed the music you're hearing right now. Love you. See you next time. <laughs>